0: Welcome to the Southcrest live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Question, do you ever get irritated? (laughs) Ever get frustrated? My kids say I'm struggling, <laughs> get agitated. I was talking to my brother-in-law recently. He and my sister, uh, younger sister, just moved to Jayton, Texas, thriving metropolis. And uh, he is the pastor there at First Baptist Church Jayton now. But he, you know, I guess a week after they moved there, uh, big storm hit. So You remember? tragedy, the storm that hit Matador, but then part of that storm moved, I guess, south into Jayton, and it was pretty bad. All the windows on both of their cars were uh, knocked out during that storm. Well, right after that, he had a friend, so my brother-in-law and sister moved from, from Memphis, Tennessee. He was talking to a friend from Tennessee, and his friend on the phone was saying, yeah, man, it's just, we had a crazy storm last night. We had like 40 mile an hour winds, and we all, we had golf ball-sized hell. My, brother said, my brother-in-law said, "My brother said, the more that his friend talked, the more he just got irritated because the guy just had no sense, no awareness of what they had just experienced. So finally, my brother-in-law said, man, I'm sorry, I just don't feel bad for you. We had 105 mile an hour winds and over softball-sized hell, literally everything is bigger in Texas. Like, <laughs> just, I don't want to hear about it, right? He was irritated. We, we get irritated about lots of stuff. You ever been... You have been sitting at the stoplight maybe you're a few rows, a few cars back and then the person at the front of the light, when the light turns green, lo and behold, they must have been enjoying something on their phone because no one moves <laughs> and your prayer life increases dramatically or repentance increases dramatically because you get frustrated, you get agitated, irritated. Or like as a dad, I, I'm amazed at how frustrated I can get and trying to open up a toy out of the packaging, right? Like, why does it require a doctorate in nuclear physics to open up the little toy? Like, it's irritating. It's frustrating. You know, as believers, there are some other things that irritate us. One of those is that we can become irritated, agitated, worked up about wicked people. Well, that's, that's kind of a, maybe it feels like a strong word, but it's a, it's a biblical word. We can get frustrated, worked up about the evil, the wickedness that happens in this life. Y'all know what I'm talking about? We get worked up, agitated. You know, maybe it's, maybe it's the, the businessman or woman who they've not in any way, shape or form surrendered their, their business to the Lord. So they're just kind of doing whatever they want with their finances and their leadership. And it seems like their their business, their organization is thriving while yours is struggling it can be frustrating maybe it's the celebrity you see who clearly wants nothing to do with god and when i say wicked people someone who wants nothing to do with god has no desire to follow his ways maybe it's a celebrity who they want nothing to do with god they're vocal about their disdain for god in their minds if he even exists and yet they seem to get more rich more popular by the day maybe it's maybe it's marriage Maybe you have a friend who they've given up on their marriage, and they seem to be having a great time. Where you, you're, you're trying to obey the Lord, you're trying to walk with Him, and you just seem to be more frustrated. That'll irritate you. Maybe it's maybe you're a teenager. And it seems like everybody in school who could care less about God, they're the cool kids, while you, you're trying to walk with the Lord, you're trying to grow in Him, and you just feel totally ignored at school. That's irritating whether it be their agenda, whether it be their aggressiveness towards people who love God, or whether it be just that they seem affluent, we can get worked up about wicked people. Now, I want to make this real clear. The Bible does talk about righteous anger. That's a good thing. Righteous anger is you see sinfulness, you see brokenness in the world, and it leads you to sorrow over the brokenness you see in the world and the desire to do something about it. I love what theologian Paul David Tripp says, that righteous anger for the believer is not an option because you should see the sin in this world and get fired up about it and want to do something about it. But really, it's, righteous anger is God-centered and it's grace-centered because you know, but for the grace of God, there go I. But most of us, if we're honest, We don't spend our time in righteous anger, we spend our time just worked up and mad about stuff. Like, did anyone watch the news, look at the news on your phone at any point this week and feel yourself just kinda riled up? This morning, morning, yeah, right? Thank you for your honesty. Yeah, it it happens, We we get worked up and frustrated. And one of the most practical Psalms that there is, Psalm 37, David tells us, real simple, don't let wicked people get you worked up. He's not talking about righteous anger. He's talking about just this angry just to be angry. You're boiling just to be boiling. He says, don't go there. Don't don't let it get to you. And I, I love it. We don't see it in the English translation. But in the Hebrew, it would would stand out that this Psalm, Psalm 37, is actually an acrostic. So every stanza begins with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Now, why would he do it in an acrostic? Why, Why do we use acrostics? Because it helps us what remember it, right? Most scholars believe, and I agree, that David wrote this psalm as an acrostic because regularly believers are faced with the realities of the prosperity of the wicked and it tends to rile us up. And so David gave us this psalm inspired by the Holy Spirit to help us remember truth when we encounter those situations. So what we're gonna do, we're gonna read all of Psalm 37. That might irritate you, I apologize. (laughs) We're gonna read all 40 verses and then see, three reasons why David says, hey, don't let the wicked get you worked up. Don't just get all riled up about the wicked. So, Psalm 37, chapter 1. Do not be agitated by evildoers. Do not envy those who do wrong. Why? For they wither quickly like grass and wilt like tender green plants. Trust in the Lord and do what is good. Dwell in the land and live securely. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. Making your righteousness shine like the dawn, your justice like the noonday. Be silent before the Lord and wait expectantly for him. Do not be agitated by one who prospers in his way by the person who carries out evil plans. Refrain from anger and give up your rage. Do not be agitated. It can only bring harm. For evildoers will be destroyed, but those who put their hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while and the wicked person will be no more. Though you look for him, he will not be there. But the humble will inherit the land and will enjoy abundant prosperity. The wicked person schemes against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at him because he sees that his day is coming. The wicked have drawn the sword and strung the bow to bring down the poor and needy and to slaughter those whose way is upright. Their swords will enter their own hearts and their bows will be broken. The little that the righteous person has is better than the abundance of many wicked people. For the arms of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord supports the righteous. The Lord watches over the blameless all their days and their inheritance will last forever. They will not be disgraced in times of adversity. They will be satisfied in days of hunger, but the wicked will perish. The Lord's enemies, like the glory of the pastures, will fade away. They will fade away like smoke. The wicked person borrows and does not repay, but the righteous one is gracious in giving. Those who are blessed by the Lord will inherit the land, but those cursed by him will be destroyed. A person's steps are established by the Lord, and he takes pleasure in his way. Though he falls, he will not be overwhelmed, because the Lord supports him with his hand. I've been young, and now I'm old. Yet I have not seen the righteous abandoned or his children begging for bread. He is always generous, always lending, and his children are a blessing. Turn away from evil, do what is good, and settle permanently. For the Lord loves justice and will not abandon his faithful ones. They are kept safe forever. But the children of the wicked will be destroyed, the righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it permanently. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom. His tongue speaks what is just. The instruction of his God is in his heart. His steps do not falter. The wicked one lies in wait for the righteous and intends to kill him. The Lord will not leave him in the power of the wicked one or allow him to be condemned when he is judged. Wait for the Lord and keep his way and he will exalt you to inherit the land. He will watch when the wicked are destroyed. <clears throat> I've seen a wicked, violent person, well-rooted like a flourishing native tree. Then I passed by and noticed he was gone. I searched for him, but he could not be found. Watch the blameless and observe the upright, for the person of peace will have a future. But transgressors will all be eliminated. The future of the wicked will be destroyed. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord, their refuge in a time of distress. The Lord helps and delivers them. He will deliver them from the wicked and will save them because they have taken refuge in him. Don't let the wicked get you worked up. Here's why. A lot of great things there. We're gonna boil it down to three big things. Number one, the riches of the wicked won't last. It's not gonna last. Riches, yes, monetarily, money, the riches, but also power. Doesn't seem like so often that people who want nothing to do with the Lord, they're the ones that somehow attain power around our world. Whether it be their prestige, whether it be that it seems like they have a problem-free life, it's not going to last. Look at the text and the different descriptions he gives of, of the wicked and the fact that their life is passing away. It's only temporary. It's not going to last. He says, In verse two, they wither quickly like grass and wilt like tender green plants. Withers, wilts. We took our kids to a park the other day and they had just laid beautiful green grass. It looked awesome, but I told Lauren, give it a little bit of time. (laughs) Be turning brown in no time. It's going to wither. It won't last. He says, that's what the riches of the wicked is like. It's not going to last. Verse 9 says, evildoers will be destroyed. Verse 10, a little while and the wicked person will be no more. Though you look for him, he won't be there. It's transient. It's passing away. Verse 20, the wicked will perish. The Lord's enemies like the glory of the pastures will fade away. They will fade away like smoke. And what a picture. It's like smoke, it's just gonna fade away. Their affluence, their their power over you, the, those things that frustrate you, their agenda they keep pushing forward, it's not going to last. Verse 35, I love this verse. He says, I've seen a wicked, violent person, well-rooted like a flourishing native tree. Then I passed by and noticed he was gone. I searched for him, but he could not be found. The point is, it was sudden, it was surprising what looked secure and strong and solid and immovable, just like that had vanished. It's not gonna last. He says in verse 38, transgressors will all be eliminated. The future of the wicked will be destroyed. The reign of the godless, the agenda of the godless, the money of the godless all has an end date. So David says, don't waste your time getting worked up on what's going to waste away anyways. It's not going to last. You ever been down to, I know we're a long ways from the beach, but you ever been down to the beach and made a sandcastle? Not many people are shaking their heads. That's all right. Man, <laughs> you go down to the beach and make a sandcastle. It can be, it can be work to make a competitive sandcastle. Grew up in the Florida area, or in in Florida, in Florida area, in Florida, and um, I remember uh, my sister's now having competition. Who can make the best sandcastle, right? You got to have the right sand to water ratio, a little tip there for you, right? You got to get it just right. You can have the molds there to to make it perfect. You can spend all this time on on carving it out just right. And no matter what, by the next morning, all you will have left is a blob on the beach. That's all that's going to be left, either because you... You build it in the wrong spot. You build it too close to the water and the tide comes in and washes it away. Maybe there's wind and rain that night or maybe some kid comes by and just kicks it over, right? But I guarantee you no matter how hard you worked on it, it, it's not going to last. So as I got older, I began to realize I'm not gonna sweat that much over this sandcastle even if my sister's looks better than mine because this doesn't really matter. That's what David is saying. The things of this world, the riches of this world. Don't sweat over it and it looks like all the people that don't have God, they're doing so much better because it's not going to last. There is an end date, their time is coming. And so, what does he say? Like, what's the applications all over the text? He says in verse one, So don't envy those who do wrong. Don't compare and be jealous. Well, maybe you know what? Maybe I shouldn't do things God's way. Maybe I should do things how they're doing it because their life looks better. It's not going to last. So don't envy, don't compare yourself and what they have and what you have or what you don't have. He says in verse 18, Lord watches over the blameless. So rather than being envious and like, okay, they're doing better than I am, so I'm gonna try to catch up and I'm gonna, I'm gonna pursue a wicked lifestyle instead of pursuing purity in the Lord, he says, don't do that. Even when it seems like those who don't know God, who aren't obeying him, it seems like they're getting ahead of you in life, don't give in to that temptation. You continue to walk in purity. You continue to walk blamelessly before the Lord, knowing that he is better. That's why he says down in verse 27, turn away from evil. So don't see what they've got and think, I want some of that. No, turn away from evil. As Jesus said, build your house on the rock. Because what you have in him will not fade, will not tarnish. Don't waste your time on what waste away anyways. And when you do that, when you give in to, I'm just going to get in this rat race of life, and I'm irritated that the people who don't know God are doing better than me, so I'm just going gonna, gonna to be mad about it, or I'm going to compete with them. All that does is harm you. The second point I think we see jumps out from the text is this. Getting worked up about the wicked only hurts You getting worked up and all frustrated and agitated about those who don't know God and their agenda and their and their plans and their apparent success, it only hurts you. Now, again, remember the difference. There's righteous anger that's God-centric and cares about making a difference in the world, but most of us spend our time just irritated and agitated. It's me-centric, it's worry-centric. He says, don't do that because it only hurts you. How, how many of us would, maybe you, you wouldn't be on blood pressure medicine if you could figure this out a little bit, Right? Like a little less worry and frustration over the wicked. How many of us have gotten worked up about the wicked and then said something we just later regretted? How many of us have, have gotten worked up about the wicked, ag- agitated, and did something that caused us to lose influence or credibility? So, so then even when our anger does turn to righteous anger, we've lost credibility, we, we've lost influence because we were too worked up. It says it only hurts you. Look at, look at verse 8. He says, refrain from anger and give up your rage. Do not be agitated. It can only bring harm. (laughs) Verse 14, he says, the wicked have drawn the sword and strung the bow to bring down the poor and needy, to slaughter those whose way is upright. It's very frustrating to say it lightly, but he says, their swords will enter their own hearts and their bows will be broken. God will bring justice. So you don't have to get yourself all in a tizzy because you can know God's in control. I love one of my favorite verses in this passage is back in verses 12 and 13, where he says, the wicked person schemes against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. The Lord laughs at him. (laughs) Not because God doesn't care. Not because God isn't just. No, he says, because he sees that his day is coming. So it's not that God, ah, I don't care about it. No, he, he, he sees the work of the wicked and he, he just laughs because he knows their end day is coming and he knows that he is still in control, not them. Think about that, that contrast and how it, it makes me feel silly. The times I'm watching the news or on social media or whatever and I get worked up over something that God is actually laughing about. He's not laughing at wickedness. He's laughing at the fact that the wicked think they're gonna get away with it. Why am I stressed and all worked up and stomach ache over something that God God just laughs at? And says, "Hey, don't worry about that." It makes me think of Psalm chapter two. You're welcome to return there. I love this psalm. It's a messianic psalm. I won't read the whole thing, but talking about when Christ comes and reigns on this earth. It says in chapter two, verse one, "Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain?" The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and his anointed one. Notice anointed one, both capitalized, talking about the Messiah, Jesus. Let's tear off their chains and throw the ropes off of us. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord ridicules them. Then he speaks to them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain." Look, we know there's coming a day when Jesus will reign physically on this earth, but even right now, Jesus is king. He's the Lord. So if I'm always worked up and agitated about the wicked, that is a reflection that I've forgotten that Jesus is still reigning, he's still ruling. Like last time I checked, he's still in control. So when I get all worked up and agitated and just mad, All it does is lead me to post something on social media or say something I'm going to regret. Rather than trusting God's in control, God is good, he's reigning, I'm okay. That's why he says, trust in the Lord. Do what is good. Dwell in the land and live securely. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. Do you see the application that's there right in the text? He's telling us to fix our eyes on God and his goodness, to delight in him and to do good. So there's this this focus, rather than being distracted by the wicked and all that they're doing. No, I'm gonna focus and delight in God. This is gonna seem really random. It's not, I promise you. Do you know why? Now, some of you, if you've attended the venue, you've heard me say this, so no cheating, okay? But do you know why a lion tamer uses a stool to tame the lion. You ever wondered that before? I think it's one of those things we see in life, and just like don't question it. But think about it. The tame the line tamer's in there with a massive, majestic, powerful line, and a little stool can make this line tame and calm. The reason he does it is the line when the when the line tamer picks up the stool, points to all four feet in the face of the line, the lion tries to focus on every all four feet at one time and he becomes distracted. When his focus is fragmented, he becomes weak and tame. And it's almost as if a state of paralysis comes over the line. What was once majestic and powerful is now tame and weak because it's simply distracted. How many of us, we're supposed to be doing good? We're supposed to be sharing the gospel. We're supposed to be making a difference in our families, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods for the glory and the kingdom of God. And yet we've become weak and tame all because we're just distracted by the work of the wicked. He says, delight in the Lord. He's not saying, bear your head in the sand. Like, I checked my phone to check the news this morning to see, hey, is there anything we need to be praying for? Which turns out there's always something we should be praying for, right? Like, but if you're ever checking the news to see, like, oh, how's the world doing? It's always broken. So you maybe save yourself a little time. What if you spent less time in the news? I'm not against the news, but less time in the news and more time in the good news of Jesus Christ focusing on him and his goodness, trusting him, delighting in him. It says, he will give you your heart's desire. So as I delight in the Lord, I'm going to desire the right things but that will allow me and lead me to do what is good. Less focus on what they're doing and more focus on God, what are you leading me to do? Because I'm trusting in you, I'm delighting in you, knowing that you are in control. You know, speaking of, of good news, I think the third point kind of jumps off the pages as we read all 40 verses, and it's this. Number three of why we shouldn't get all worked up about the wicked. It's because the Lord always has, is, and will take care of his kids. He always has, he is, And he will take care of his kids. So those who have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus, the Lord will take care of you, provide for you, meet your needs. It's not that you will never experience hardship. The Bible is clear on that. Just ask Paul. We're going to experience hardship. But the Lord will always support us and be with us. We can rest in that, rejoice in that. Look at what he says in verse 9. Those who put their hope in the Lord will inherit the land. Verse 11, but the humble will inherit the land and will enjoy abundant prosperity. Verse 16, the little that the righteous person has is better than the abundance of many wicked people. So there's clarity there. He says, the little that one righteous person has, the little bit one person has, is better than the abundance of many wicked people. So line up many people, they have a bunch in their arms. He says, that is actually better than what they have. And then he says, why? For the arms of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord supports the righteous. So all these wicked people have all this stuff they're holding together. You know what? When their arms are broken and they don't have the Lord there to support them, they lose it all. You got nothing. You over here with your little bit you have in the Lord is better than all that because the Lord, the God of the universe holds you in his hands and holds up your arms. Man, he always has, he is, and he will take care of us. Over in verse 23, it says, a person's steps are established by the Lord and he takes pleasure in his way. Though he falls, he will not be overwhelmed because the Lord supports him with his hand. Verse 28, for the Lord loves justice and will not abandon his faithful ones. They are kept safe forever. Verse 39. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord, their refuge in a time of distress. The Lord helps and delivers them. He will deliver them from the wicked and will save them because they have taken refuge in him. Again, yes, he always has, is, and will take care of his kids. Now Two lenses we need to remember as we read all of those verses. So there's an Old Testament lens, so to speak, and a New Testament lens. So as David wrote this to the Israelites, yes, literally because of the Old Testament, they were promised land as they walked with the Lord, an inheritance. In the New Testament, through the New Testament lens, we are never promised land in this life. But we're promised something much better. If you read the book of Revelation, we know there's coming a day, Christ will return, new heavens, new earth. We get to be with Jesus forever. Where there's no more sin, no more shame, no more sorrows, no more deaths to announce, Jesus will reign perfectly forever. He's said, we get to experience that. That is your promise in Christ Jesus. John 14, Jesus said, I've gone to prepare a place for you. And in my father's house are many rooms. He's coming back. And we got it pretty good here in Texas, but it's going to be way better when he comes back. (laughs) He he has, he is, and he will take care of his kids. You know, you you look back to someone's history, so to speak, to trust them with your future. Like if you ever, you've been whitewater rafting as people are gathering up to get in their boats and they're getting in their group. You'll hear people ask whoever's gonna be their guide, if you start to figure out who's gonna be in your boat, ask the guide, hey, so uh, how many times have you been down this river? (laughs) How how many times has your boat flipped? Have you ever lost someone? You wanna know about their past so you can feel better about your present, right? Have you ever gone in for surgery and some young buck comes walking in, the doctor, you're like, hey, you didn't just graduate, right? Like, you've performed this surgery before, you want to know about their past because it helps you feel better about your present and certainly your future as we think about our future and, and what we have in the lord and will he take care of us absolutely we look back to the cross of jesus christ and know that without a shadow of doubt he loves us and will provide every need we have in him that even though we were sinners that we apart from Christ, are wicked. Every single person in this room, including me, apart from Jesus, are wicked and sinful and evil and dead in our sin. But Jesus left heaven's throne, came to die a bloody death on a cross to pay the price for your sin, for my sin, so we can have relationship with him and know him forever. We can look to his past, what he's done for us to know, oh, he's going to take care of us. Right. Well. Romans 8, chapter 31. I'm not starting this new sermon, don't worry. Romans eight, thirty-one. Paul says, what then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded, convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He's given us Jesus. We know we can trust him with our future. He always has, He is, and He will take care of us. You ever sat in a hammock? It can be dangerous to get in a hammock. But the hammock, if you've done it right, is anchored to two points. And if you are appropriately anchored to each point, you are stable in the middle. You're okay in the middle. As believers, we anchor ourselves to the cross of Christ, and we anchor ourselves to the fact that He's coming again, and one day we'll get to reign with Him forever. So even now, as the work of the wicked causes us to sway and maybe pushes us so we might fall out. No, we sit stable, anchored in the love of Christ and what we have in Christ, knowing we are his children. Don't let the wicked get your worked up. The Lord always has, is, and will take care of his kids. Getting worked up about the wicked only hurts you. (laughs) And the riches of the wicked won't last. So don't get worked up. I want to finish with three questions. They're not in the notes, but you got this. (laughs) Three questions to consider and then we'll be done. Number one, do your daily habits take you deeper in the Lord or deeper in irritation? Do your daily habits take you deeper in the Lord or deeper in irritation? I know I've already referenced this, but maybe the simplest application there, if you realize, man, I spend more time getting irritated I think the most simple, easy thing you could do would be turn off the TV, put down the phone and pick up the Bible. <laughs> that will lead you to, to trust in the Lord and to delight in him. Number two, does your distraction about the work of the wicked keep you from the work of the Lord? Man, you know, if we're, Me included, if we're always worked up and frustrated about the wicked and what they're doing, and your eyes on on Jesus, you're not gonna be busy doing the things of the Lord. It's hard to share the gospel with somebody you're just mad at all the time. So where does your focus need to go? And then number three, have you forgotten the gospel? I think one of the easiest ways to get all worked up and agitated and forget the grace of God that's been extended to you and then therefore not extend grace to other people is when you just forget all that Christ has done for you. Like, think about it. It's kind of, it's not funny, but it's silly. We get all mad when people are acting crazy and godless. Yeah, that's what godless people do. That's what you and I did before Jesus changed us. So instead of getting all mad and irritated and just keeping to ourselves, well, if we remember God's grace, experience some righteous anger and take a step towards them in love and grace and compassion and truth, trusting and believing the gospel of Jesus Christ is powerful enough to change their life and change the world. Like how, we've, we've got the best news in the world, the gospel of Jesus. So why would I be all mad all the time and irritated when the gospel is the hope of the world because of what Christ has done for us? Have you forgotten the gospel? You just need to remind yourself what Christ did for you on the cross. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus for salvation. You've never experienced the forgiveness, the goodness of Jesus Christ. Friends, he stands with arms wide open, ready to forgive and, and take you from death to life because he paid the death penalty for you on the cross. And three days later, rose again so by turning from your sin and turning to him there's forgiveness, there's hope, there's life no matter how wicked, no matter how evil no matter how sinful he stands ready to forgive his grace overflows to you thanks for listening and enjoy today's message